0: Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Thanks for tuning in. In the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. It's a phrase used in church circles, at weddings and other religious events. The Trinity is not just a biblical concept though, but the reality of who God is. You might be okay with God the Father and Jesus the Son, but where do you sit with the Holy Spirit? There's often a misconception that the Holy Spirit is only a New Testament phenomena, but as Dr. Corbett continues his look at the Holy Spirit tonight, we'll discover that the Holy Spirit was well and truly active in the Old Testament as well as the New and beyond. Let's find out more as we join Dr. Corbett now for the work of the Holy Spirit.
1: The Holy Spirit doesn't belong to the Old Covenant or the New Covenant. He's he's active in both, but in different ways, and I want to show you that This morning. So, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, this is not optional for you to be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. In fact, to be a Christian is only possible if the Holy Spirit has done something in your life. So, to become a Christian doesn't mean you simply join a church, go to a church, own a Bible. That's not what makes you a Christian. It's not anything we do that makes us a Christian. It's what has been done in us. That's why you've you've often heard me say, religion is spelt, come on, someone, how do you spell religion? D-O. It's what you do. Do this, do that, do this. But Christianity, different to every other religion, if you can call it a religion, because it's not spelt D-O, it's spelt, help me out here, D-O-N-E. It's all been done. Christ has done it. And how does he do it? He does it by the power of the Holy Spirit in you. And this is a really scary thing for me as a pastor. The thought is that we will have perhaps young people who grow up in this church who see the outward form. They hear me say, come on, to grow in Christ, you've got to read your Bible. You've got to pray. You've got to attend church. You've got to share your faith. You've got to use the gifts God has Given you They hear all that and they try and do their best, but there's nothing exciting in it for them. and that's one of the surest indications that they have not been transformed by the Holy Spirit. When the things of God have no in- when the things of God have no interest to a person, it is a huge clue, a huge evidence indicator they haven't been transformed by the Holy Spirit. You don't become a Christian just because you do something or go somewhere. It's a transformation that has to happen in your life. Let me show you, if you are familiar with the Bible, I'm going to to try and give it what's called a survey, from starting sort of literally from the the first opening verses of the Bible to see the activity of the Holy Spirit. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Covenant. The Holy Spirit was active in creation. We read in Genesis 1-2, it says, "...and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters." We, we read in the, next, the very next chapter, that, in chapter 2, that the Spirit of God breathed life into Adam. And Job picks up on this in Job chapter 33 verse 4. And he says it was the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who created everything. So the Holy Spirit was active in creation. When we read the story of Noah, we read God saying this, my spirit shall not always strive with mankind. So the Holy Spirit up until the time of Noah was pleading with people, urging people. And if you've read Proverbs chapter one, you'll read the Holy Spirit is depicted as wisdom. And the Holy Spirit there is depicted as someone striving with people. It says this, that that wisdom stands on the street corner and yells and pleads with people, please don't be foolish, don't go that way, don't go that way. So there's a sense that the Holy Spirit under the old covenant was pleading with people not to put their souls in eternal peril. And and here we come to the story of Noah's Ark and we we have this story where, where God says, I'm not going to keep doing that. There's going to come a point where I'm going to say, you don't want my will for your life. Have it your way then and you'll pay the eternal consequences for that we go on in genesis chapter 37 and we read of joseph who dreamed a dream and was able to interpret dreams by the power of the holy spirit we get into the next book of the bible the book of exodus and we read moses being given the instructions to build this this huge facility called the tabernacle and there's intricate gold work that has to be all highly symbolic has to have leaves etched in it and all kinds of things And God says this, I have anointed Eliab with my spirit to be able to do art. Did you know that there are artists who are anointed by the Holy Spirit? And that's what it says in the Old Testament. So then we go through into some of the early books of the Old Testament, skimming over quite a few. But we come into the book of Judges. And we read in Judges chapter 6 that Gideon was... He was hiding his harvest in a winepress from the Midianites, who were Israel's enemies. And it says that he, he then encountered God, and God, it says, came by his Spirit upon him like a cloak. He was cloaked in the Holy Spirit. This is actually one of the major differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, the Holy Spirit came upon... For a time, in the new covenant, Jesus said, "He will come and He will abide." So the judges, my favourite judge, Samson. I just, I just dreamt that one day God might gift me with the same thing, the same anointing as Samson. You know, to buff and, and as you can see, he did. <coughs> and, and the thing with Samson, as I as I got older, I realised. He wasn't buff. He didn't look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's why they looked at Samson, this guy with the long hair, and they said, where does this man get his strength from? Because he, was, he, he had the physique of Nick. Where did he get his strength from? This is a man who, with the jawbone of a donkey, could kill a thousand men. He could tear a building apart by just this. And yet he looked like Nick. I mean, you would ask, wouldn't, the question would arise, wouldn't it? If you saw Nick doing something extraordinary, you'd go, that's spooky. <laughs> and so Samson, he, he it's, the spirit came, but then, you know, what, it's interesting. It says that Samson then told Delilah that, From birth, he was consecrated to God. And under the old covenant, you could do this. Numbers chapter 6, it said this. You want to consecrate yourself to God? You set yourself up for incredible blessing if you do. And and for those few people, from birth, they said, our life is dedicated completely to you. And they had to make a vow. It's called the Nazarite vow. You'll read it about it in Numbers chapter 6. This was the vow. You can't touch alcohol, you can't go near a dead person and you can't ever cut your hair. Samson was like that. And Samson said if you, to Delilah, if you destroy my vow by getting my hair cut, I will lose my strength. And that's exactly what did happen. And it's interesting, it says that Samson, when the Philistines came upon him, it says this, Samson arose as before and presumed that God would be with him. It's a dangerous place to be when you start the little compromises and you just assume that God's blessing is always going to be there. And that was Samson's story. So Samson eventually redeemed himself, but he didn't get to see it. So we go through to the prophets in the Old Testament. It often says that the Spirit of God came upon them. J- Jeremiah, you know, my favorite prophet, it says, he says that I wanted to quit, I wanted to never to prophesy or speak. The Word of God again, but then your Word and your Spirit came upon me like fire in my bones and I couldn't help myself. So each of these prophets of the Old Testament were anointed by the Holy Spirit. The, the, The weirdest one to me is Ezekiel. Ezekiel is super weird to me because he was a guy who experienced something of the Holy Spirit that no other person in the Bible ever experienced. He could be in one place speaking to a group of people and then he could just go into prayer, and then poof, poof, he's, he's 500 miles that way. Now, I don't know where your weird ometer starts to register, but mine registers really early when I see things like that. And that was because of the Holy Spirit on him. So, kings were anointed by the Holy Spirit as well. In fact, the prophets would come with one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit one of them is fire, another one is wind, another one is water, but another one is oil, olive oil. Then they come up to the king and they'd pull the wax thing and they just pour oil. And it's a picked, the horn speaks of strength, the strength of an ox, and the Holy Spirit speaks of, the, I'm going to give you this strength. So kings were, were always anointed with a, a touch of the Holy Spirit on them. We read in Nehemiah that so were the priests who taught. It says that they were filled with God's good spirit. And now we start to get into some of the prophecies of the Old Testament. We read in Isaiah 42 verse 1 that the coming Messiah would be anointed with the Holy Spirit. We then read in the book of Joel that one day the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. We then are told uh, that the Holy Spirit, this is in Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6, not by, my, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord, Speaking of, here's how the new covenant is going to be established. So the new covenant was going to be established by the Holy Spirit. So you quickly get the impression just from these Old Testament passages, and there's a couple more to go, that whatever God had in mind for people to call themselves believer, I am a believer. It's something where the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your heart, your mind, your life, your body, every part of you, and he transforms you. You can't even do it yourself. You can only ask. That's about all you can do. And I'm going to show you in a moment, even if you do that, it's because the Holy Spirit has enabled you to do that. So who gets the glory in all this? It's God himself. So we have just just one more from the Old Testament in Ezekiel 36, 26, that with the new covenant, God was going to do, for everyone who came into the new covenant, he was going to give them a new Heart, a transplant, a heart transplant. So, this is what the Holy, this is all Old Testament. This is what it said. Now, let's come into the New Testament and we're introduced to uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah. If you read the Gospel of Luke, we're introduced to Mary, the mother of Jesus, in Matthew. But in Luke, if we follow this in chronological order, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth are old, they can't conceive. And it says that when, when Mary came, who had Jesus conceived in her by the Holy Spirit, that John the Baptist was in the womb of Elizabeth. And it says this, he was filled with the Spirit and he leapt for joy in the womb. So how old do you have to be to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, there's John the Baptist. He's six months in the womb responding to a child who's three months in the womb of his mother. <laughs> pretty awesome. And now, so Mary, Matthew chapter 1, it says the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you will conceive Jesus. And that's what happened. So the Holy Spirit's active. Can you see this? The activity of the Holy Spirit is all through the Bible. Let's keep tracking this through. It says when Jesus was baptised, it says as he came up out of the water, the, the Holy Spirit came down in In the bodily form of a dove, and John the Baptist saw this, and then everyone heard the Father say, "This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased." And it is really a proud dad moment, isn't it? You know, there's Jesus, who's who's about to begin his earthly ministry, and every dad who's seen his child kick the ball on a soccer field for the first time. It's, yes, that was my son. Here's the father in heaven. There's his son who he has spent eternity with. And he has willingly said, I will become like one of them. And here he is about to embark on his ministry. And it's, that's my boy. It's that kind of moment. This is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. And it said, everyone heard it. Where did that come from? But what's also interesting is we've got this. We've got the Holy Spirit coming in bodily form on Je- and resting on Jesus. We've got Jesus. And then we've got the voice of the Father in heaven Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at the baptism of Christ. Then it says, after the baptism, Jesus went out into the wilderness and he was there 40 days, tempted by the devil. And he didn't yield to the temptation. Jesus is the only person on the planet who has ever battled temptation. You and I hardly ever battle temptation, do we? We kind of resist it as best we can. But for the most part, if it's cheesecake from the cheesecake shop, we yield. <laughs> we don't battle. The Holy Spirit, it says in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, And it's interesting because because the Apostle Paul calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Holiness. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the Spirit of Holiness, the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. We then, after this moment, we come to the upper room where Jesus has spent the best part of 10 days with his disciples. And then he does something really weird. Kind of in that Middle Eastern fashion, he comes up to his disciples and he goes. Oh, he breathes on them. It says he breathed on them, and then he said, "Receive the Holy Spirit." What's going on there? Well, you've got a couple of ways to look at this. With that, God is the artist. Everything has a symbolic. Everything has a symbolic meaning with God, and there's Jesus oh, breathing. And a part of me says, you know, when God created the first man, Adam, it says he breathed on him as well. So here we have physical life and spiritual life. And when Adam sinned, he broke off that spiritual life. And now here we have a group of men with physical life and Jesus is breathing back spiritual life into them. And from that point, anyone who put their faith and trust in Christ by the Holy Spirit would have new life. And so we have this this account of Jesus breathing on his disciples. But then he says this, and this is like, where did this come from? Because he says this, and if you're a real student of the Bible, you would know in Leviticus 23, there are seven feasts that Israel is told to keep. They include Day of Atonement. They include Passover, Unleavened Bread Passover, They include Feast of Tabernacles and then there's this thing called the Feast of Pentecost. And the Feast of Pentecost coincided when Israel began to harvest their crops. The very first sheafs they they cut in harvest, they had to present to the temple. But the priest would then take that and mill it and make bread, one with leaven, one without leaven. And then he would take this bread that had leaven in it, so it was kind of thick, and this other bread that they normally had, the unleavened bread there, or the quick bread, the unleavened bread, and he would take it and he would do this, he'd, and he'd, he'd eclipse them. Now he didn't even know what he was doing, but he had to do this year after year for thousands of years. The priest is doing this, or 1500 years. And that's, that was the highlight of the Pentecost. That's what Pentecost means, 50 days after Passover, Pente, 50 days And it speaks of leaven, Gentiles, unleavened, Jews. One day they will become one people. That's the day of Pentecost. And on that day, the first day of Pentecost, after Jesus died on the cross, which happened to be exactly at the time of Passover, exactly 50 days after that, that Pentecost, the priest has just done this and as he's just done that, it says... A mighty rushing wind came through that precinct. Fire came down from heaven. And all the gathered believers began to prophesy or praise God in a language they'd never learned. And that's called speaking in tongues. That was the first day of Pentecost. Now the interesting thing is that Jesus said, I want you to stay in Jerusalem, in this upper room, until that happens. Now they didn't know what was going to happen. He just said, I want you to stay until I send the Holy Spirit. And when the whole building shook, and most scholars believe that they started off 120 in the upper room, which would have been about two or three houses away from the temple precinct. By the time it got to a couple of hundred people trying to get, they said, look, this is correct. let's just go into the temple courtyard. And as I've mentioned to you, the temple courtyard was, you know, acres and acres of Ground bounded by a wall. They could just take a corner. So there's 3,000 of them there. 3,000 there. And the whole place shook. Wind, fire, and they all began to speak in the language they'd never learnt. It'd be pretty reasonable to assume this might be what Jesus was talking about. And it says Peter stood up in that corner and spoke to everybody, maybe 10,000 people plus, who were there. This is Peter. This is the guy that couldn't speak in public. Something had transformed in him. That was the day of Pentecost. That's what the Holy Spirit did. Then as Peter and the other apostles went around Jerusalem and went about their business, they saw, it says in, early on in, in, in chapter 4, there was a man who was lame from birth, sitting at the gate. And Peter just said, In the name of Jesus... Touched him. Rise up and walk. And this man who'd never walked in his life suddenly felt strength come into his legs. He stood up and he said, Let it be known, Jesus Christ has healed you by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was accompanying the preaching of the apostles with signs and wonders following. Then as we go on through the New Testament, we see that we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17... That every word of Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Alright, let's bring this to a bit of a climax and we'll wrap it up. That's the work of the Holy Spirit throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. If you've got your Bible, I'm going to put this verse on the screen, but you're going to need to see some of the verses before and after this. This is John chapter 16, verse 7. The Gospel of John has Jesus talking more about the Holy Spirit than any other gospel records. This is what Jesus said. For everything that the Holy Spirit has done, it's going to be nothing compared to what I want him to do in you. Can you fathom that? Creation, weird prophets, coming on guys like Samson, anointing kings. Nothing compared to what I want him to do in you. And he says it this way. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Can you believe that? I mean, who on, who in the universe would you rather hang out with than Jesus Christ? If I told you Jesus was standing right now out under the carport, and he really was, I wouldn't be standing here. I'd be out there. I'd be like, I just, just... I don't want to leave you. And he says, it's better that I leave you so that when I leave, I can tag and send the Holy Spirit. Because you are going to be far better off with the Holy Spirit than having me stay here. Wow. Don't diminish the strength, the importance of time with Jesus because of that. Understand what Jesus is saying. This is pretty powerful stuff. And it's what separates Christianity from everything else. Now here's here's where I want to just draw on this verse and we're going to anchor it to a close. Immediately after saying that, this is what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness and judgment so here's the work of the holy spirit based on that verse that he said jesus said this is what the holy spirit will do number one convict of sin you cannot become a christian unless you've been convicted of sin unless you you've sensed your guilt and shame before god you can't even begin the journey. And Christianity isn't about making you feel guilty. Christianity is about dealing with the fact that we feel guilty because of what Christ has done. And here it is, the second point. Sin, righteousness. You see, the Holy Spirit wants to work righteousness into you. There's another word for that, regeneration. Whenever you see re, it's doing again. Generate, give life. Without the Holy Spirit working in you, you're spiritually dead. You're dead. So he wants to convict you of sin, then he wants to regenerate you. We read that in Titus chapter 3. He actually uses that word. Jesus goes on in John chapter 3, in John chapter 3, verse 3, he uses a different set of words to describe this. He says this, unless you are born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of heaven. And that's this work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, he goes on in John chapter 3 and he describes it as a work of the Spirit. So what does it look like? It looks like spiritual regeneration. It's the gift of faith. You might go, well, I don't even know if I can believe enough to have what God wants to do in my life. But here's the thing. Even that's a gift. You may have all kinds of doubts. You may have all kinds of objections. Here's the awesome thing. Whatever your doubt, whatever your objection, all you've got to do is ask God to help, and he will. Here's the next thing God does in this category, is it gives you the gift of repentance. If I said to you, you've got to stop your lifestyle of sin and turn to Christ, you might go, I don't know if I could do that. And I hope that is your answer, because I don't think any of us can. In fact, it's got to be a gift. And we read about that in Acts 14, where it describes repentance as a gift. But here's the next thing that the Spirit of God does in us. It's spiritual growth. It's sanctification, preparing us for judgment. If you are a Christian, in 12 months' time, you should be different. If you were a Christian 12 months ago, today, you should be different. Because the Holy Spirit wants to sanctify you. And that's what the Spirit of God wants to do in your life. He wants to take you from ordinary to special. And then the day of Pentecost, we've touched on it, the Holy Spirit can work Baptism, a spiritual baptism into your life. And the Holy Spirit can help you to follow Christ. Here's my closing verse it's from Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. If you want to deepen your Christian life, you want to deepen your relationship with Christ, you need to open your heart and mind up to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's nothing you can do. You don't conjure it. You don't fake it till you make it. You just become open. And here's my question for you. What work right now Is the Holy Spirit accomplishing in your life? For some of you, it's conviction of sin. When I sin, I feel lousy. I feel terrible. You know what? I thank God I do. Because that's the Holy Spirit loving me. When I don't do something that I should have done, I haven't done anything wrong. I just haven't done what I should have done. I don't feel quite right. And I thank God for that sense. That's the Holy Spirit loving me. When I have the Holy Spirit correct me and say, hey, you shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have said it that way. You shouldn't have spoken to your wife like that. That's the Holy Spirit helping me to grow. When I sense the Holy Spirit saying, hey, come on, let's let's open this and let's have a look at this. That's the Holy Spirit loving me and helping me to grow. This is Paul's closing prayer to the Corinthians when he said this, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the, whole, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And Father, I pray that for us, that Lord, no matter where we're at in our spiritual journey, we would come to know the forgiveness of God, the love of God, the grace of God, so that we might know the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and intimate fellowship with the Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, you're one prayer away, not a million miles away, one prayer away from being right with God. A prayer that says this, God, please forgive me. Come into my life and help me to live for you. I give you my life. I thank you that Jesus died in my place and now help me to live for you. You pray a prayer like that, your life can begin to change from this day on and into eternity. So, Father, bless everyone here today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Active in creation through to accompanying the apostles' preaching, the Holy Spirit is active today. More from Dr. Corbett next week, part three of this four-part series on the Holy Spirit. Next week, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, The Work of the Holy Spirit, are available via the website, findingtruthmatters.org, or by contacting us at Lagana Media, P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania, 7277. For updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters.